Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. Tim White tells the following. In the first 15 years of his life, our son Ryan had over 30 surgeries. When he was about eight years old, he was in the hospital for another one. The medical staff had already given him the Barney juice, a purple liquid with something like morphine in it. The medical staff then began to roll his surgical bed to the operating room. As usual, we accompanied him to the two big doors that led to the place of surgery. That is where we stopped and told him all would be okay for the last time before he went in. This day, as we got to the doors and they opened, he sat up in the bed, looked me right in the eyes and pleaded, Dad, don't leave. Don't let them take me. And then they wheeled him in. At that moment, my heart was broken. I would have done anything to take him off that bed, except for the fact that he had to have the surgery. That knowledge didn't ease the pain in my heart at all. I just stood there trembling as the doors closed and he disappeared, and then I broke down into tears. Shortly after, when I was asking God how such a good love could hurt so much, I realized that he had gone through the same thing. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the Lord prayed, Father, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. But out of unfathomable love, God gave his son for us. I allowed the surgeons to take my son for his own good. God allowed the crucifiers to take his son for our good. That is how much God loves us. Beginning with this episode of Transformed by Grace, we're going to begin a short series walking through different events and prophecies in the Old Testament which foreshadow the cross of Christ. In this episode, we'll look at the account of Abraham taking his son Isaac to Mount Moriah to offer his only son as a sacrifice. And this, of course, free figures and is a type of the cross. Genesis 22, verses 1 to 2 read, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Verse 1 tells us that God tempted Abraham, which does not mean that he tempted him to do evil, but that he tried him. He tested Abraham's faith. And talk about a test, this test of faith would be the greatest test Abraham would ever face. And this test of faith involves the true and grievous pain of losing Abraham and Sarah's only son, son whom they for years had longed for and prayed for and who had miraculously been given to them in their old age. But this test is also a beautiful and breathtaking picture of God giving his only son for us of our Lord's sacrifice at the cross and his resurrection. God speaks to Abraham in verse 1 and calls out to him, Abraham. 
Abraham responds, here I am. The Lord instructs him to take his son, his only son, his unique and solitary son, the only son of Sarah, the son of miraculous birth, the son of promise. And when we think of the Lord Jesus Christ, we think of the similarity there of his miraculous birth and how he is God's son, his only begotten son. This miracle child, the son of his old age, was near to Abraham's heart and dearly loved, as the Lord knew, telling him to take his only son, and then he adds, whom thou lovest. In John 3.35, Christ said, the father loveth the son. At Christ's baptism and his transfiguration, God the father spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Colossians 1.13 speaks of Christ as God's dear son, or literally the son of his love. Then God tells Abraham to take Isaac, the son of his love, to the land of Moriah, which is the land and mountain range where Jerusalem would later be located. Years later, when Solomon built the temple, 2 Chronicles 3.1 says, Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah. Abraham was residing in Beersheba at this time, and this was an arduous journey of about 30 miles to go to the land and the mountains of Moriah. Now, why would God have Abraham go so far rather than do this at home? and go to a particular spot that he would tell him of. And the reason was that God knew that this is where Jerusalem and the temple would stand, and where his son would later die the death of the cross at Calvary right outside the city walls. And this sacrifice God asked of Abraham was to foreshadow that sacrifice, the supreme sacrifice for sin by his son, and thus needed to be offered in the land of Moriah. Verses 3 through 6 read, And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place far afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and will come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife and they went, both of them, together. The normal human response to such a request, to offer your only son as a sacrifice, would be, why, Lord? We would want or demand an explanation. But as Warren Wiersbe says, faith does not demand explanation. Faith rests on promises. Even though this was a heart-wrenching request, Abraham says nothing. And without question, he immediately obeys it. Heartbroken, we can be sure, but he was trusting the Lord. Abraham knew that God's ways are higher than our ways, and his will would never contradict his promises. And the promise that he held to and trusted wholly was the Lord's promise to him that in Isaac 
shall thy seed be called in 20, chapter 21, verse 12. So Abraham rose up early, as it says there in verse 3, to obey God's word, knowing God is faithful to his promises. He saddled his donkey. He took two servants, and he took Isaac. In preparation for obedience to God's will and making a burnt offering of fire, Abraham clave, it says there, or split the wood for the offering. And by faith, he went to the place God instructed him. The 30 to 40 mile trip took full, two full days and part of the third. And on the third day, it says there in verse 4, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place he was to go. And on the third day, those words, on the third day, should catch our eye as believers. And regarding this, Henry Morris uh, has this insightful quote. Abraham was fully set to do God's will from the moment they started out. Thus, for all practical purposes, Isaac had been dead three days. The three days of apparent death obviously correspond, he says, to the three days during which Christ was actually dead. Another way to look at this, too, is that it was on the third day that Abraham received Isaac alive back from the dead, as it were. So we see the type of the resurrection here. Seeing the place far off, Abraham stopped, dismounted, told the servants to remain with his donkey, telling them he and Isaac would go yonder and worship and come again to you. The transaction that was going to take place was only between the father and the son, between Abraham and Isaac. That pictures the cross as well. The transaction and the payment for all of our sins was only between the father and the son at the cross. Abraham, too, he was sure that they would both come back to them. The idea there when he talks about, we'll go yonder and worship and come again to you, is that they would both come back to them. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, go to BereanBibleSociety.org. Colossians, The Preeminence of Christ, is a hardcover 256-page commentary written by Pastor Cornelius R. Stan. As the head of the body, Christ holds the preeminent position in the church. This wonderful truth was a special revelation solely committed to the Apostle Paul. Pastor Stam exposes the dangers of this heresy and cautions us to beware of those who promote this unsound doctrine today. Like Paul, may we also fight the good fight of the faith. To order your copy, contact the Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750 or visit our website at www.BereanBibleSociety.org To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, The Berean Searchlight, call 262-255-4750 or subscribe online at www.BereanBibleSociety.org Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now, back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. 
Hebrews 11:17 through 19 reads, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. God had told Abraham that Isaac would become a great nation, and in him all nations would be blessed. And Abraham knew this would take place because God had promised it. And Isaac had been given to Abraham and Sarah in their old age in a miraculous way. And Abraham was prepared to believe that Isaac would be restored to him again by a miracle. Abraham therefore anticipated that God could, he was able, and would raise him up from the dead. So according to Hebrews 11, Abraham trusted that God would raise his son Isaac from the dead and that he must do so according to God's promises that he had made unto him. Therefore, he told the servants, we'll be right back. And that's tremendous faith. In verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it upon the back of Isaac. And likewise, the wood for Christ's offering at the cross was laid upon his back as he bore the wood for his sacrifice. John 19, verses 16 to 17 says, And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. Also, as the burden and weight of wood was laid on Abraham's son, so a great weight was laid on God's son. As Isaiah 53, 6 says, The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The knife Abraham took pictured the physical instrument of death for his son Isaac. The cross was the physical instrument of death for God's son the Lord Jesus Christ. The fire in Abraham's hand pictured the spiritual judgment of Christ. As Isaac's father had fire in his hand, so the father had the fire of his terrible judgment against sin in his hand, which he fully poured out on his son at the cross. Christ experienced the fierce and fiery judgment of God in full measure as he paid for our sins and for the sins of the world. Verse 6 says, They went both of them together, which portrays a very touching picture in the sacrifice of Christ, because the Father, too, was with his Son each step of the way as they walked the hill to Golgotha together. As heart-wrenching as this was, for Abraham with his son, which he loved, and would be for any father with their son. So this was the case to an infinite degree with God the Father and God the Son, the Son of his love, as Christ went to Golgotha. As the song goes, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch, you and I, his treasure. God's justice against sin demanded death, which Christ as our substitute did for us. 
While Isaac's loving father Abraham remained with him throughout this entire ordeal, in contrast, the father and his holiness had to forsake his son at the cross when he was made sin for us. And that caused Christ the greatest agony from the cross, causing him to cry out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Genesis 22, 7 to 8 read, And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. Much of this should just terror at our hearts because Isaac innocently questions his father as they ascended the mount. My father, I see the fire. I see the wood. Where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Isaac logically wonders where the lamb is for the offering, and Abraham answers carefully at this point, telling him God will provide himself a lamb. That question had to add to the anguish Abraham was already feeling, knowing that it was to be his son. And Abraham simply says that God would provide the sacrifice and not he. Where is the lamb? Isaac asked. Centuries later, the answer echoed back from John the Baptist when he saw Christ. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So they went, both of them together, as it says again in verse 8, as it does in verse 6. And as, we go, as they go, we see the faith of one, Abraham, and the willing, trusting submission of the other in Isaac. Genesis 22, 9 reads, And they came to the place which God had told them of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. As they arrive at the place that God had told him of, Abraham carefully arranges and builds an altar and laid the wood in perfect order. It was at this time that Isaac was likely told um, who was to be the lamb for this offering. Even though he is called just a lad in verse 5, Isaac was no small boy, seen by the fact that the wood for the offering was laid on him and he carried it up the mountain. Sarah was 90 when Isaac was born. And in chapter 23, verse 1, in the very next chapter, we find that she was 127 when she died. So we know that Isaac wasn't older than 37, but he was probably in his 20s or early 30s. Being of this age and his father being around 125 in age and obviously slower and weaker than Isaac, Isaac could have easily escaped, could have easily fled had he wished. But we see the faith of Isaac as well as he willingly, obediently, submissively allowed himself to be bound and laid on this altar. Like Isaac, our Savior allowed himself to be bound. He went willingly to the cross. He was bound in order that he might set us free 
from the bondage of our sins. Isaac allowed himself to be laid on the altar by his father. And so as a type of Christ, he was obedient unto death. Christ also submitted to the will of his father, as he said in the garden the night before his death, not my will, but thine be done. And as John ten seventeen and 18 says, the Lord says, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. The cross was the altar upon which the Lamb of God was offered, and he willingly laid down his life, submitted himself to be nailed to the cross, and to hang on it and stay on that cross in the payment for our sins. Genesis chapter 22, verses 10 to 14 read, And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him, for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. Once the altar was prepared and his son bound and laid on the altar, Abraham stretched forth his hand, reaching for the knife, took it and was holding it. As we try to place ourselves in Abraham's place in this difficult moment, it had to be absolutely overwhelming. The father looking at his son, the son gazing at his father, probably both of them with tears flowing. Abraham took that knife and he was absolutely going to slay his son. And as he brought down the knife to slay him, at that moment the angel of the Lord called out unto him from heaven. And the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. And so our wonderful, merciful Savior calls out to him, Abraham, Abraham, and stops him. And our Lord tells him to not harm him, to not do anything to him. Abraham passed the test and had demonstrated that he feared, that he loved, and he trusted God so much that he would not withhold even his only son from him. Abraham did not withhold his son like God the Father with his son. And while God spared Abraham's son, and all of us, as we read that account, all of us let down this like a whew. And then when you think about God the Father with God the Son, Romans 8.32 says, He spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Jason Elam, kicker for the Denver Broncos at one time, tells the following story. A minister told me that a little boy in his congregation had been killed in a car accident. He was called to the hospital to visit the parents. The little boy's father in anguish told him, If I could have prevented this, I would have. 
the minister later realized the power of God's love through that statement. Here was a father who said, if I could have prevented his death, I would have, whereas God could have said, I could prevent my son's death, but I won't. And he didn't because of his great love for you and for me. Abraham told Isaac that God will provide himself a lamb, and God did provide a sacrifice. It was a ram and not a lamb. The complete fulfillment of that statement in prophecy awaited the true lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Abraham lifted up his eyes for the second time in this passage, and he sees a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham offered it on the altar in the stead of his son, in substitution for his son. And by grace, a substitute was provided and died for Isaac. And so by grace, a substitute was provided and died for us. As Christ in his vicarious death took our place, was our substitute, took our sins on himself and died for us and for all our sins. Verse 14 says that Abraham called that place Jehovah-Jireh, or the Lord will provide. God intervened and provided for Abraham and his son, providing a ram, a substitute to take Isaac's place on the altar. He is Jehovah-Jireh to us too, because he's provided us a glorious substitute, a Savior for us in his son. Hebrews 11.19 again says, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. And in that last part, from whence also he received him in a figure, or in a figurative sense. Isaac didn't actually die and rise again, but in a figurative sense, he did. Laying on the altar was a picture of death. And he had, all, for all practical purposes, been dead for three days because Abraham was determined to do it. And then here on the third day, in a figurative sense, when Isaac stood up from the altar, it was a figure, a picture of the resurrection, of standing up, like the word uh, resurrection means, being delivered from death. And all that is a picture and foreshadow of the Lord Jesus Christ and his actual death and his actual resurrection from the dead. I'd like to close this episode with the following meaningful quote about the cross and our Savior. He whom none may touch is seized. He who looses Adam from the curse is bound. He who tries the hearts and inner thoughts of man is unjustly brought to trial. He before whom the powers of heaven stand trembling stands before Pilate. The Creator is struck by the hands of His creature. He who comes to judge the living and the dead is judged and condemned to the cross. He who is life is enclosed in a tomb. O Thou who dost endure all these things in Thy tender love, who died to deliver men from the curse of sin, O long-suffering Lord, glory to Thee, Glory to thee. Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. 
The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.